Certainly take their football seriously, don't they? No problem. The NFL's got you covered. Let the games begin. This is Touchdown Talks on KSUU Thunder 91.1 FM Cedar City. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Touchdown Talks. Week 5 of NFL action has just wrapped up, and I'm excited to have you here on the air with me listening. Hope you've enjoyed your Monday, and this has been a good start to your week. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. If you're an NFL fan, you certainly should have. It's been a fun fun few days of football, and that is what we are here to do, is to react to those games. So... Let's start off by just touching on the Monday night football game that just wrapped up. That's why we started a little bit late here. And, you know, before I start mentioning starting late here, if you are interested in watching Touchdown Talks every week uh, with me, and if I didn't mention, as I said, have in the intro, I am Spencer Taylor, and this week is a... Or this show, Touchdown Talks, is a show where every week here on Thunder 91, I will go and react to the week's action in the NFL and talk any other relevant news or anything that I think is relevant and, if possible, get around to looking forward to the upcoming week. This show is every Monday, uh, tentatively scheduled from 9 to 10 p.m., and again, sometimes, like week's like today, we may start a few minutes late, uh, just depending on how the Monday night football game is going. So if you want to stay up to date on the show, and also I do have uh, a podcast, Touchdown Talks is a podcast. It's on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. So if you want to stay up to date with that, you can follow me on Instagram at spencer.taylor99 or on the Touchdown Talks Instagram, which is touchdown.talks. So anyways, if you stay up to, if you follow me on there, follow the show on Instagram, uh, also on Facebook and Twitter, but especially if you follow on Instagram and Facebook, I'll always be keeping you up to date on what's going on with the show, sharing live NFL news as things are happening throughout the week. And again, giving updates and information about upcoming shows as they approach but so for the monday night football game that just wrapped up we had the green bay packers in las vegas just a few hours down the road from here in cedar city going up against the las vegas raiders in the game the raiders finished winning by a score of 17 to 3 and the packers go on of course to lose and both teams now leave the game with a record of two and three on the season. So for the standings for both of them, for the Raiders, that puts them at third in their division. And for the Green Bay Packers, that actually puts them at second in the NFC North. So, you know, just some quick thoughts on the game. Uh, This was a pretty low scoring affair for modern NFL football, 17 to 13. That's kind of an older school uh, score that's kind of something that I grew up being used to seeing as a score but these days with the way uh, the NFL and football in general have becoming have become much more pass heavy and safety uh, focused 
you know, we, we tend to see scores getting a little bit higher. And especially at this point in the year where offenses have start, had enough time to start gelling and things like that. Because, of course, in the beginning of the season, you know, you might be saying so far this season, you might say, hey, well, I've, I've noticed some low-scoring games. But that's because early on in the season especially, you'll have some more low-scoring low games just because at least for the few, first few couple weeks – uh, oftentimes defenses these days start a little bit more ready for the season than offenses do. So in the first couple weeks, you'll see lower scores. And then later on, as you get into the season, at least for a while here, while the weather's still warm in most places, you know, so for like October, November football, uh, especially October and September, towards the end of September, you'll see a lot more high scoring games because offenses are starting to figure things out. And again, they've still got warmer weather in some locations and, you know, the offenses are starting to catch up and maybe even get ahead of defenses. And then, then once the season starts closing in, defenses start catching up to offenses again, weather gets colder in some places, depending on where the game, where, where a game is being played. So that can also slow things down. But anyways, so, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty intense game pretty close right up to the end but if you're not you know if you're a fan of modern football and you're always looking for a high scoring game this was probably not your game to watch but certainly if you have a respect for uh, defensive play and you enjoy that this was a pretty good game um for for both quarterbacks that's kind of the first thing that stands out to me is in the first half especially we saw it, it, it just it kind of seems like uh, for Jordan Love and the Packers, I know tonight they didn't really bump things up at all in the second half necessarily, but the Packers, whenever whenever they have had success in games, it's it's kind of seemed like they're a team that sometimes comes out of the gate a little bit cold in the first half and then usually gets a little bit better in the second half and especially for Jordan Love but I don't know it, it's tough to say I mean I personally I don't know what my opinion of Jordan Love is I really don't know whether or not to buy that he's a good quarterback yet or great or you know below average or if he's going to not end up working out I mean it's tough to say this is really his first season uh, as a starter, you know, he had a couple seasons to sit behind Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, after being drafted by the Packers out of Utah State. But for Jordan Love, it's it's too early to say or really have a verdict on him yet, but it's also hard to really believe that he's for sure going to be the next Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre, as Packers fans obviously want. But, I mean, tonight Jordan Love ended with – uh, 16 for 30, 182 yards, which is an average of 6.1 per pass, which isn't that great. And then he threw zero touchdowns and three interceptions, so that's that's a really tough one. And then on ESPN's quarterback rating system, which I talked about last week, they rated Jordan Love's performance tonight at a 32.2, which is not very good. And then on the other side of the ball for Jimmy Garoppolo, he went 22 for 31 with 208 yards, uh, 6.87 uh, average for yardage, and then one touchdown, one interception pass. And then his 
quarterback rating was a 86.5. So also not like crazy good. And honestly, especially if you watched the game, Jimmy Garoppolo had some dis- disappointing moments as well. I wouldn't say that either quarterback played that well. And if you're playing, if you're a fan of either team, I don't know that you're coming out of this game overly optimistic about your quarterback. I mean, especially for the the va- the Raiders. Obviously, I I would guess most Raiders fans probably weren't overly excited about the Raiders bringing in Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo anyways, being that it's not like he was really a step up at all from Derek Carr. I mean, if anything, I would maybe rather Derek Carr, but they're pretty much comparable quarterbacks, and they're both kind of, you know, Again, I would rather Derek Carr, to be honest, but they're both kind of B-level quarterbacks. You know, they're not really that great. They can be good on some weeks. They can be, you know, they can have moments where they're really good, but they're really just the type of quarterback that's not really going to ever, like, lift a team. You know, they're not going to put a team on their back or anything. And sometimes you're winning or fighting to win in spite of your quarterback with a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo. And for Jordan Love on that side with the Packers, as I said, you might not be coming out of this game too optimistic about him. Now, you shouldn't be quite as out on him as Raiders fans might be with Jimmy G. But Jordan Love, it's this is certainly not a game that you wanted to see out of Jordan Love. I mean, you at least got to wait and give Jordan Love the whole rest of the season. And obviously into next season, you'll still have him, probably still give him next season unless you end up being, you know, and I don't think the Packers are going to be bad enough to end up early enough in the draft to where they're going to want to take a quarterback. You're going to stick around. You're going to stick with Jordan Love at least through next year. And then after next year, if he hasn't popped, then you might maybe move on. But I mean, this was one of those games that at least is not going to help Jordan Love's case. This is one that he's going to want to try to uh, erase from people's memories and try to prove that this is not the type of quarterback he is. Because, again, three interceptions and the the four interceptions between the two quarterbacks, none of them were that good of interceptions. I mean, there was one or two of them that I, I can't remember, but at least one of them that I remember in the game that you know you could kind of chalk it up to it being a, a tipped pass, but all the all the interceptions were not necessarily ones that you could blame on a receiver or anything all that much. And with with both quarterbacks, even even just outside of the interception plays, both of them had a handful of throws tonight where they were just not on the mark. And specifically with Jimmy Garoppolo, as I mentioned, he. There was a play where I'm trying to remember if this was in the second half or in the first half, but he had a pass that was pretty, you know, should be a pretty easy pass you'd expect for an NFL quarterback, especially for a franchise guy. You'd want this, you would think this should be an easy pass, but, you know, right up the sideline to uh, Mayer for the, the Raiders for their tight end. And Garoppolo just, put the ball way too low for Mayer and Mayer tried to dive out and try to catch it and he almost had it but you know so obviously if you're the Raiders you still want him to catch that ball but the 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 catch or the pass that he was given 
by Jimmy Garoppolo was just not very good. It wasn't wasn't a good spiral. The ball was kind of wobbling out of his hand, and it just you know it floated way too low. The ball should have been thrown out in front of Mayer and. Had it been thrown where it was supposed to be, Mayer could have caught it, and he had green grass for yards to go. And there were some safeties and and other DBs for the Packers that likely would have caught up with him before he got to the end zone, being that they were all the way back. Like on that play, I think they were back on the Raiders like 40-yard line or something like that. So he would have had to go quite a distance to actually score, but he could have pretty easily at least gotten, you know, 20, 30, 40 yards out of that before getting stopped and, uh, you know, shoved out of bounds or tackled. So, and that was just one of those moments where Jimmy G, like the pass, just the pass that he put out was not what you want to see out of a quarterback. And yeah, so a bit disappointing for a quarterback play for the two. The other storyline for the game tonight, of course, was that this was the Devonte Adams revenge game, I guess not necessarily revenge, but first game for Devonte Adams to go up against his former team in the Green Bay Packers, and that was kind of a fun little narrative. I mean, not a ton came out of it, but it was kind of fun. There were a few moments where you saw, you know, Adams going out and getting covered uh, by some of the DBs for the Packers, and there are a few times that when he was targeted where you saw him get tackled and, and after the play, you'd see those DBs like shaking hands with him and, and talking, you know, you could see smiles on the, on their faces and things like that. So obviously being that he hasn't been away from the Packers very long and he's such a great receiver, obviously a lot of those star guys on, on the Packers are, are going to love him and stuff like that. And so, you know, there's definitely, not you know this was not one of those revenge games where there's like any blood bad blood or anything especially between the players they were certainly having fun going up against Aaron Rodgers or sorry not Aaron Rodgers uh against uh, Devontae Adams and you know they were talking on the broadcast how that uh Jair Alexander for the Packers was even joking that in practice back when Adams was with the the Packers. He was he was saying that that supposedly he always was beating Devontae Adams in practice, and so now this was his chance to show the world how much better he was than Devontae Adams in practice. But you know, there wasn't on the field there wasn't any like chippiness or anything out of it. But it was pretty fun there. But for De- Devontae Adams and his stats for the game, he had four receptions for 45 yards, no touchdowns, and the longest. Uh, his his longest reception was 21 yards, so nothing crazy. I, you know, obviously if you're a Raiders fan, you want you would have wanted the the Raiders and Jimmy Garoppolo to t- target Devontae Adams a bit more, and obviously the Packers were double covering Devontae Adams quite a bit, but at the same time there were a few times where Devontae Adams was not double covered, and they still didn't even try to target him. I mean, there were a couple, there were a couple moments where the, the Packers weren't double covering him and they ended up handing the ball off and running with it on like play action and things like that. So there were a couple of those that were kind of head scratching that you would hope that Jimmy Garoppolo would get Devonte Adams the ball instead. But nonetheless, 
the Raiders came out with the win anyways, so if you're a Raiders fan, you should be happy about tonight. Of course, they didn't play perfect. It was a kind of a sloppy game in some respects for both teams, especially for the offenses. Neither offense really got a ton going, but you know, win's a win, so you'll take that. And I mean, the Raiders had... I mean, they were pretty even as far as yardage goes, both teams. Packers had 285 yards. Raiders had 279. Uh, Both ended up having 11 drives for the game, so that was even. Uh, The time of possession wasn't too bad for either team. The the Raiders did win time of possession with 32 minutes versus 27, but that's pretty even time of possession. I would say that the big you know, game changer really was the turnovers for the both teams and the, for the Raiders, they won the turnover battle battle, only giving up one interception versus the three for the Packers. So again, really comes down to the quarterback play and the mistakes by both quarterbacks. And, you know, it's a common, you know, at least it, it used to be, I don't know how much it is anymore being that offense is a little bit more important but one of the first things that I learned as a kid when I was getting into football was the concept that the turnover battle will win you or lose you games if you win the turnover battle battle most of the time a vast majority of the time you will win that game if you win the turnover battle so and I mean go to any game that you watch at any level football or sorry NFL college high school for many cases that is true you know and on the other levels of football sometimes things can be a little bit more crazy and even today with with offenses being more high powered sometimes teams can overcome losing the turnover battle battle but it's pretty hard if you're giving over turn giving up turnovers so so yeah most of the time if you're to look at a random game you know, so let's let's go to, for example, the Chicago Bears versus the Washington Commanders game since that was Thursday night's game. Let's look at the turnover margin there. You know, and I haven't even looked at this beforehand. Uh, of course, I watched the game on Thursday, being that I am a Bears fan and had to be prepared for this show. Um, and I, that was a really great game. But, yeah, just take this game, for example. I didn't remember the box score before I checked it. But looking at it right now, the Bears won the game. And guess what? They won the turnover battle. On Thursday night, the Bears did beat the Commanders uh, at FedEx Field in D.C. in our nation's capital. And the Bears won that game by a score of 40-20. to 20. And as I said, turnover battle, the Washington Commanders gave up two turnovers. They lost a... Uh, fumble and they also had an interception thrown whereas the bears were clean they had no turnovers given away or yeah no giveaways and so the bears won that battle and ended up winning the game and honestly for for the bears now that i'm on this topic we'll try to not spend you know the whole show on the bears i do want to get some uh, to some other games but this was such a fun game as a bears fan uh, my goodness i mean of course, it came against the Commanders, who are also one of the worst teams in the league. So, you know, it's certainly not a game to, like, overreact and say that, oh, you know, the team has corrected itself now. We're, 
the Bears are a great team now. No, the Bears are still going to struggle. I still don't, you know, even as a Bears fan, if I'm being realistic, I really don't see the Bears winning a ton of games. You know, I think at maximum, absolute maximum, at least if you're going off of my preseason predictions, based off of the adjustments for what games I've gotten right or wrong so far, right now my predictions for the rest of the weeks all the way through week 18, I would have the Bears going 6-11. and 11. But even that I think is pretty unrealistic to expect as a Bears fan. I mean, the Bears have Minnesota next week. I have us losing that game. You know, there's some other games like um, – I had the Bears splitting the two games with Detroit, so the Bears would win one of those two, and it's very likely the, the, the that Detroit is going to win both of those games this year. So that's another loss for the Bears. You know, going to lose probably both, probably going to lose all the in division games. Might still one from from the Vikings or maybe the Packers in Week 18, but you know, either way, chances are the Bears are going to get like five wins maybe but there are a few other games later on this season that should be winnable for the Bears they play against Carolina and you know they play against the Raiders here in a couple weeks but you know chances are even some of those might be losses I mean the Raiders just just beat uh, the Packers who are obviously Bears rivals in the same division and the Packers you know at least at the beginning of the season when when the Bears and Packers played, the Packers were better, but, you know, in sports you can't necessarily use that kind of a transitive property. The transitive property doesn't always work. That's why you play the games. So we'll see what the Bears end up doing throughout the rest of the season. But anyways, this was a really fun game. And although I still don't think this is a great Bears team, there's a lot of issues Certainly this game was a big deal for the Bears and for some of the players and personnel on that team. Last week, we I didn't talk about it on Touchdown Talks last week because uh, I still hadn't really heard the rumors going around till about Tuesday or Wednesday. But on Fitz Happens, which is a show I do with a few other guys here on Thunder 91, on Wednesdays from 7 to 8 p.m., we talked about some rumors that were going around that if the Bears didn't win on Thursday night against the Commanders, the rumors were that the Bears may actually fire head coach Matt Eberflus after the game or you know in the next day or so. And that's pretty big deal because the, the Chicago Bears are one of those franchises that even when they have fired head coaches, they're one of the franchises that is – has generally stuck to waiting till the end of the season to fire a coach rather than doing it mid-season. They don't usually do that, but the rumors were that with how chaotic the season has been on and off the field and how much of a mess things have been, the rumor was that if the Bears lost, and especially if it was a sloppy loss to the Commanders, that Eberflus was going to be fired. So the Bears winning and doing it in the fashion that they did quite possibly saved Eberflus's job at least for now and then also for Justin Fields who of course we're you know we're watching to see if he can be the franchise quarterback and as Bears fan obviously I hope he is and I still believe he can be and this was one of those games that uh, certainly helps the argument for him and you certainly want to see him do this more against better teams 
But the the biggest highlights were with with him and with DJ Moore for the Bears. So for Justin Fields this week against Washington, he went 15 for 29, which isn't that great of a uh, pass percentage that's you know just barely above 50 percent so that is still pretty low that's not where he would want that but he threw for 282 yards which is an average of 9.7 uh, per pass and then he threw four touchdown passes no interceptions and he ended with a quarterback rating again this is the ESPN rating quarterback rating of 77.7 and then for the normal passer rating system Justin Fields ended with a score of 125.3 which is pretty high um so it, it was a really fun game to watch as a Bears fan and you know for context if text if you didn't know it seems like everybody does but if you didn't know the Bears up until this last Thursday were the only professional sports team in the U.S., and that's including NFL, NBA, uh, NHL, MLB, all those. Obviously, some some of these leagues, it's kind of unfair to compare because they play more games, but there was a meme going around pretty much since the season started that the Bears were the only franchise in U.S. professional sports that had not won a game since... Elon Musk by bought Twitter, which for context was October of last year. So, and the last time the Bears had won as of Thursday was like, I, d- I don't remember the exact number, but it was almost a year to the day since the last time they had bought, they had uh, won a game. I think last year the last win the Bears had was was in about week five or six uh, at the beginning of October of last season. So it had been basically a full year since us Bears fans got to see our team actually win a game. So it was it was pretty refreshing to finally get to see that. And again, even more so, win or loss, I would have been happy just simply with the fact of how Justin Fields played. This was one of those games that he really did what us Bears fans want to see. And even from other parts of the game, you know, with the play calling, the play callings felt a lot better. And, you know, it might be that it was that because things were working out and he was playing better. But, and you know, it also might speak to the fact that commander's defense was, you know, some of it was the commander's defense giving up so much. But, um, and specifically with DJ Moore, the wide receiver for the Chicago Bears, uh, finally, uh, us Bears fans got to see what we wanted out of him, you know, that the bears gave away quite a bit to bring him in and it was a worthwhile trade. He's, he was instantly the number one wide receiver for the team. But, you know, up, up till this point this year, the bears hadn't been, the bears and Justin Fields hadn't been using utilizing him as much as we'd like, but this week DJ Moore went off. He was insane. Had eight inter or sorry, interceptions, eight receptions, for 230 yards, and that's an average of 28.8 yards per reception. And a lot of his yards came after the catch, so that was really good. And his longest reception went for 58 yards. And then I forgot to mention, touchdowns, he had three of those. So, you know, and then some other stars, of course. The other main star in the receiving game was Cole Komet, tight end. He's also a really good tight end. I love Cole Komet. Uh, he had five receptions for 42 yards and a touchdown. 
So he was a stud. You know, unfortunately, wide receiver number two, Darnell Mooney, who I also love for the Bears, he didn't see much love. He was only targeted four times in the game and caught none of those targets, but it's okay. DJ Moore went off, and again, he, he had those eight receptions on ten targets. So he was really efficient, really good. Um, he's a great receiver, and so it was finally uh, really great and refreshing to see him go off. And, yeah, it was against a weaker team, but that at least got gave us a show of what we want to see from the Bears. Uh, another Bears headline from this past week, uh, I think this happened on Friday, so basically pretty much right after the game, just the next day, the Bears did finally trade away Chase Claypool, and that uh, the Bears trade to get him uh, from the Steelers uh, had to be has to be one of the worst trades in a while for the Bears, but, you know, they... they Finally have moved on, and, you know, they got at least something out of it. Didn't get much for it, but, you know, Chase Claypool was just so bad. And and the <laughs> another joke that was going around online was the fact that the Bears traded for Chase Claypool partway through the season last year. And actually, the first game, you know, so as I mentioned, the Bears hadn't won a game since basically a full year ago. And... When the Bears traded for Chase Claypool, their, I believe the last win that they had had last year happened like right before that Chase Claypool trade. So basically, with Chase Claypool, the Bears won zero games, uh, lost every single game since they acquired him, and he contributed very little at all. And especially this season, came into the season, was just uh, put out horrible film, not good effort at all. And then a couple weekends ago, you know, before the home game against the Denver Broncos, Coach Eberflus told and the staff told Chase Claypool to stay home. Don't come to the game. You know, we don't need you here. Uh, stay home. And so he did and wasn't there for that game, wasn't there for the Washington game. And yeah, and then the Bears trade him away. On Friday, they did trade him away to the the Miami Dolphins. And they, in, I guess, the, the compensation the Bears got was not much, but basically them and the uh, Dolphins traded 2025 draft picks. So the Bears get a sixth-round draft pick for 2025 from the Dolphins, but then the Bears also gave up a seventh-round pick. So... You know, the Bears get very little out of the trade, but, I mean, they weren't getting anything out of keeping Chase Claypool, so that's why it's kind of like, well, you know, for the price that they spent to get him from the Steelers and things like that, not that they really spent a ton to get him, but they did spend some to get him, and so kind of had to cut their losses, but it's it's good that they did it, and, yeah, it certainly feels like <laughs> it almost felt like there was a curse that got lifted by him being gone. But I, I understand, obviously, that's kind of just goofy superstition. But at least as far as culture-wise, I mean, it is it is uh, fair to say that, I mean, in football, culture definitely matters a lot. And so for, for the Bears to finally win after getting rid of Chase Claypool, it's, uh, you know, interesting. But moving on from that game, 
want to get into some of the other games that we had yesterday. Uh, to start off with the international game, we had the Bills and the Jaguars. This was supposed to be technically a Bills home game, I think. I think they were listed as the home team. Yeah, they were listed as the home team in London. But to be honest, I would almost more have given, you know, schedule-wise, it's their home. it was their home game. But as far as, like, home field advantage... I would say that was kind of home field advantage for the Jaguars. It's not that they had an overwhelming uh, majority of the fans. The Bills had a good amount of fans there too. But the thing is, is for the Jags, they were there for two weeks in a row. They had, you know, they played against the Falcons in London last week. And then, you know, they were able to stay in London and play against the Bills. So I think that kind of helped them, you know, and, and for the, the Jags credits, uh, they won both of their international games there in London. You know, they beat the ja- the Falcons last week, and then this week they beat the Bills. Pretty crazy game. Uh, ended in a score of 25-20. to 20. And the Jaguar. I mean, both teams, it was, it was kind of a sluggish game for the first half, and really throughout most of it, it felt kind of sluggish, uh, you know, especially being that, this is a game that includes the Bills. You kind of expect it to be a high-scoring game, but the Bills just did not look in sync. Things weren't working out. You know, we had just yet another instance uh, where cameras were able to catch Stephon Diggs, the star wide receiver for the Bills, having a freak out on the sideline over you know a previous play, and it, it's it's hard to not question. You know, and obviously some of it just comes down to. They're all competitive guys and things like that, but basically every game for the last like year, we've had at least one clip of Stefan Diggs throwing a tantrum pretty much on the sideline. And so it's just with all the drama that went on between him and uh, Josh Allen that the team was kind of weird about and tried to kind of play hush-hush about, uh, you know, it's, it's still hard to believe that Stefan Diggs and his relationship with some of the the other people on the team is really all that good. And so, yeah, I mean, for that international trip, rough for the Bills, they lost, and now they're now both them and the Jaguars are 3-2. and two. And for the Jaguars, there's been a lot of concern about them so far this season. You know, people were – the Jags haven't looked good for most of this season, but this was kind of a, a game that they looked a lot more like what you would expect and want. And Trevor Lawrence played really good, uh, went 25 for 37 with 315 pass yards. Only one touchdown, but pretty good, clean game from him. Josh Allen didn't play terribly either, but he went 27 for 40, 359 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I still, another thing with the Bills that just obviously stands out if you look at the uh, simplified box score or just the game leaders uh, for different, you know, passing, rushing, and receiving categories. One thing with the Bills is I just they they were they're too Josh Allen reliant, and a lot of sports talk uh, personalities have talked about this over the last couple of years, but it's because it's true. I mean, Josh Allen was the rushing and passing leader for the team. Now, for some teams and some quarterbacks, that's not like a bad thing. You know, when it, at times when you've had like Lamar Jackson or like last year, sometimes with Justin Fields, sometimes 
they were the rushing and passing leader because they're actually just really good running quarterbacks, and that's something they're really good at. And Josh Allen is a good mobile quarterback, but he's not mobile to that extent. You do not want him to necessarily be your leading rusher, especially not week in and week out. And like especially in this game, for example, he was their leading rusher, yet he only had four carries and 14 yards, and he was their leading rusher. Uh, the next up on the stats was Damian Harris, who had three carries for only 13 yards. So, And as a total, including Josh Allen, the Bills only had 29 rush yards. So, And that that's, I don't know, that's pretty sad. I mean, they did, from the get-go, uh, get behind the Jaguars scored 11 points in the first quarter and then in the second quarter the Buffalo Bills were able to get a touchdown so they did start out from behind but then for the next good bit of the game it wasn't that you know it wasn't that big of a margin of victory so you would expect that a well-balanced team that is able to run the ball and and pass somewhat efficiently you'd expect them to mix the run in there a little bit but i just they're just too josh allen uh dependent he again he had two two touchdowns and one interception and in true josh allen fashion usually his interceptions are not that great looking they usually are ones that you know, don't look good for him, but it is hard to like, you know, he threw quite a lot, had a lot of passing yards, two touchdown passes, one rushing touchdown even. And it's just when you're asking that much of Josh Allen uh, week in and week out, which they do basically every week, if you're asking that much of him, it is kind of hard to at, to not expect him to throw a pick every once in a while. And I, I don't know for the bills. That's one of those things that's always been my biggest concern is they just cannot figure out the run game and they just ask Josh Allen to, you know, make up for their, their shortcomings there. And he's a, he's a really great quarterback. I don't think anybody would deny that. I mean, sometimes in ways I think he's overrated, but at the same time, the bills do ask a lot of him and he still does decently well for, you know, for what he's asked to do sometimes, but either way, it's not like the bills are struggling that much. They're three and two now. And I don't think anybody doubts, you know, that they're going to be a playoff contender. I still think they're going to win about 12 to 11 games by the end of the season. Um, and then on the other side for the Jags, I think they're also going to end around 11 wins for the season. So they'll both be in the playoffs uh, you know, just depends on what their seating will be. So we'll have to see there. And then moving into the other Sunday games, we'll just kind of rapid fire some of these. The Texans went to Atlanta to play the Falcons. Falcons came away with that game uh, off of a young way coup uh, field goal that won them the game. Falcons won by a score of 21 to 19. That was a pretty crazy game, you know, up until that, field goal for most of the game the Texans looked like they were going to win it again the, Tex the Texans have been pretty fun to watch especially because of how well CJ Stroud has been playing for them it really does look like they found a good quarterback for their future uh, he's just really good at reading the field and he's pretty good in the passing game but in the end the Texans did lose the game and another kind of interesting fact that I that I heard after the game that 
is kind of weird being that especially being the fillings around Desmond Ritter for the Falcons aren't that great. It's kind of interesting to hear this, but Desmond Ritter is undefeated at home as a Falcons quarterback. And from what I, I was hearing, Desmond Ritter was also undefeated in college when he played for the Cincinnati, um, when he played for Cincinnati in college. Um, and so that's, Kind of interesting to hear that. I mean, it's one of those stats. It's like, yeah, who really cares? It doesn't matter that much. But it is interesting, though, that he's undefeated at home, both in the NFL and in college, even though he's seen as being not very good. And, you know, it's not like his NFL record overall has been that good. So if he's still undefeated at home, you know, <laughs> you know, you never know. Sometimes, I mean, going on the road for some some players and teams – some some handle going on the road better, so maybe he is just not that good at handling playing on the road. But moving on to another game uh, from Sunday, the Lions played the Panthers in Detroit. Lions controlled the game easily, of course, and the Lions are now 4-1. and one. They're one of the best teams in the NFL right now. I think if you were to fairly rank the team's it would be pretty hard to not include the Lions in your top five or top ten. The Lions won the game by a score of 42-24, and, I mean, honestly, it was almost going to be 42-17. I mean, the last last touchdown for the Panthers kind of came in garbage time, so um, when they basically had no shot, so... I mean, the Lions look pretty convincing. They look for real. They're at the top of the NFC North right now with 4-1, and one, and I think they're going to easily win the division. And then as far as for the playoffs and in conference, right now they're ranked number three in the conference, just behind San Francisco and Philadelphia, who are the only two teams, by the way, that are left undefeated after five weeks. So... And honestly, just based off of my preseason predictions and even just updating them based off of what's happened so far, I really think the the Detroit Lions pretty likely are going to end with a uh, record of about 11 wins or maybe even better. And I do think the way things are going to work out, probably still going to have San Francisco and the Eagles in the top two seeds for the NFC. And then it'll likely be the uh, the Lions right behind them. So I'm I'm guessing, projecting that the Lions are going to get the number three seed in the NFC this year. So, and I, you know, can't be more happy for Lions fans. They're, they might be a Bears rival in division, but they're certainly a team that, you know, I respect and their fans I respect because <laughs> they somewhat like the Bears. We're kind of the two teams in, in the NFC North that at least for – the last decade or so have had the most struggles and especially the lions. They have struggled the most in my lifetime in that division. And, uh, you know, to see them finally be the obvious favorites out of the division and playing really well. Um, yeah, so it, it's great to see. And then the Colts and the Titans played in Indianapolis. The Colts came away with that game 23 to 16 and the, it was kind of an expected outcome, at least in my opinion. I think most of the sports books actually had the Titans winning this game, just barely. 
they were like just barely favored, which I get respecting um, the Titans with, you know, with uh, their, with Vrabel. And yeah, they were, were favored and they have a good coach, but I just, Titans haven't been that good. And especially this year, I just don't really like the vibes around them. I think this is going to be one of their, their worst seasons in a few years. So the Colts ended up winning it. And again, it's not like I came into the season thinking the Colts were that good, but the Colts are a team that are kind of surprising me with how good they are. I mean, I had, before the season started, I had predicted that the Colts were going to go 6-11. and 11, And based off of what they've done so far, my adjusted predictions would have to be 8-9 and nine at the least. And I think there's a few other games looking at their schedule that I could even flip. So I think the the Colts are going to be, you know, a sort of a middle ground team. Biggest concern I have for the Colts is with Anthony Richardson. He really seems talented, but, you know, back off an injury this week, I was even, you know, talking with a couple people, including my dad. So shout out, Dad, if you're listening. But, you know, talking in fantasy about Anthony Richardson. And I was saying that my biggest concern with him coming into the game this weekend is the injury stuff. You know, he's already dealt with a concussion this year. He's all already had a few other times where he's almost come out of the game because of hurting something. And sure enough, not too long into this game, he got hurt. And so he had to leave the game early. And I, that's my biggest concern with him. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks like Anthony Richardson or Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields, a lot of running quarterbacks like that, the biggest or, or Tua last year, um, you know, certain quarterbacks, especially if they're running quarterbacks, you got to be concerned if they don't seem to know how to protect themselves. They got to learn how to protect themselves. And, and yeah, Anthony Richardson is one that to me just every time he plays, he's explosive. He's really fun to watch. But anytime he plays, he just takes way too many hits and puts himself in situations that are just dangerous that, you know, his his career is not going to be able to last in the long run. And, you know, season to season, he's not going to be able to be, be available week in and week out if he can't learn to protect himself a little better. Um. You know, some other we had a lot of games that were not that close this week. The Dolphins played against the New York Giants at home, and of course, not much surprise here. Dolphins controlled the game easily, winning by a score of thirty-one to sixteen. The Saints went to New New England to play against the Patriots. This one's one of the games that you're going to hear talked about a lot this week because. Yet again, two weeks in a row, uh, Bill Belichick and the Patriots suffered two of their biggest losses ever in Belichick's coaching career. And for for the Patriots, the last time that they suffered consecutive losses of 30 points or more was 1970. So what over so 53 years ago since they suffered that much um and yeah so that's it's it's pretty rough um they they've hit about rock bottom now of course in the nfl you say that and 
like me with the Bears earlier this season, I kept saying that each week, that it felt like we'd hit rock bottom, and then the next week things changed. So with the NFL, you never know. Things might get worse before they get better for the Patriots this season, and certainly going forward. But this is a, the Patriots are going to be talked about this a lot this week because at quarterback, once again, for a second week in a row, Mac Jones did not look good at all. And just in general, the Patriots just look like one of those teams that's not – they do a lot of things that look like they're not a well-coached team. You know, they don't look disciplined. On offense, they look inept. Um, you know, defense, they're okay or they can be. But, I mean, again, both week, both this last two weeks, they gave up 34 points to the Saints. And last week they gave up um, – what was it? They gave up 38 points to the Cowboys. Now, of course, the Cowboys are thought of as, you know, more highly than the Saints. But two weeks in a row to give up more than 35, uh, to give up more than uh, 30 points, two weeks in a row, and then also on the offset offensive side of the ball to only score three points in those two weeks. That's pretty rough. I mean, we've been you know piling on like the the Broncos who have been struggling, but. For the Patriots, led by Bill Belichick, that's not something you'd expect. And so there's a lot of talk right now about, you know, obviously for the most part, I think everyone's out on Mac Jones. I don't think he even really has many allies inside the building with some of his, you know, his antics and kind of playing dirty. I know a lot of, it sounds like a lot of veteran teammates that he has aren't too happy with him for playing like that. And, you know, the, the coaching staff wasn't too happy with him last year because he started reaching out to outside sources trying to get help being that they had a defensive coordinator being the offensive coordinator, which can't blame Mac Jones for being annoyed there. But yeah, I mean, for the Patriots, they've for the first time in my whole lifetime, really they've, well, really since like 2002, I was born before that, but still pretty much my whole life. They, the, Patriots have more questions than they've had since then. So uh, kind of a rough spot to see uh, the Patriots in. But And with, with a coach like Belichick, that's kind of the conversation right now is, you know, what do the Patriots do with, with Bill Belichick? If it weren't for his legacy and the things that he did over the last two decades while Tom Brady was there, you know, if it wasn't for that dynasty being a thing, Bill Belichick would certainly have been fired by, you know, if he wasn't fired after last season, which last season was pretty bad, not terrible, but between this last season and this season and how inept the team has looked in the last year and a half or so, you know, and regressing and getting worse, I wouldn't be surprised if it weren't for his legacy, if he was just any other random old coach, this would be a coach that you would expect to be getting fired mid season this year, but Obviously, it's Bill Belichick, so who knows if they'll even fire him at all. But, you know, I'm certain that the conversations, at least behind doors, at least for Robert Kraft, the owner, uh, I'm I'm certain he's at least having conversations with people about whether or not he should, you know, try to get Bill Belichick to retire or something like that because, you know, things need to change. Either that or they need to... You know, they need to take some of the personnel decisions away from Bill and actually hire a GM and things like that that can do that. I mean, 
Bill Belichick has for all this time has had it his way and has been over personnel and stuff and hasn't really had a GM over him or, you know, working with him because he wanted to be over that stuff. But, you know, now that it's not going very well and, you know, for years now, Bill Belichick, it's been known that that's one of his weak sides is personnel, especially on the offense. The Patriots just don't draw draft offense very well uh, or have it in some cases while Bill Belichick has been there. So especially now with how things have been going, it's it's I don't know, a lot of questions in New England. A uh, close game that we did have, also low scoring on Sunday, was the Steelers versus the the Ravens. The Steelers won the game 17-10. to This was another low-scoring game, kind of like the game tonight, and it was kind of an odd one, but it's a Steelers-Ravens rivalry, so you always expect that one to be really close, and even though the Ravens right now are you know seen as the better team, the Steelers were able to come out on top with a great defensive performance and so yeah it was, it was a pretty fun you know Steelers Ravens matchup really fit that rivalry um now I want to move over to the Sunday afternoon slots again we're it's 10:05 here in Cedar City and here on Thunder 91.1 so thank you for listening I'm not going to go too much longer before I turn you back over to some commercial free music but just want to wrap up the last, you know, four or so games that we have to talk about. Uh, the Eagles went to L.A. and played the Rams in the afternoon yesterday. Uh, they won the game by a score of 23-14, to 14, and this was one of the better wins for the Eagles. You know, they this was a game that, although the Rams played well in certain aspects, the Ravens, or sorry, the Eagles controlled the game pretty much the whole time, and this was one of their... You know, they still didn't play quite up to the standard in some ways that some people wanted. But this this was kind of finally a game that I think for most part people that have been criticizing the Eagles and saying they're not where they should be by the end of the season, which, again, I've mentioned that I think that's kind of silly to be worried about right now so early on in the season. But this week the Eagles did look like their offense is starting to gel a lot more and get back to full speed. And yeah, they controlled the game, and especially physically, the the rave that was one aspect aspect of the game against the Rams yesterday. That the the Eagles looked like they were dominating for the most part physically, and so that's how they won. Again, one of the only undefeated teams left in the the league. The Bengals came out to Arizona to play the Cardinals. Bengals won the game by a score of 34 to 20 for the most part controlled the game. And you know, this, this certainly was much more like the Bengals that we've expected to see. Joe Burrow looked a lot more like himself. Still didn't play per- perfect, but 317 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. And he had a lot more plays where he was moving around and making passes and plays that looked a lot more like Joe Burrow. I mean, it was against the Cardinals that who are now one and four, one of the worst teams in the league. But you know, the the Cardinals have played some teams decently well. I mean, they they surprised the the Cowboys a couple weeks ago, and you know, so honestly, this was kind of a game that was looked look, looking at, or it was being looked at as one that maybe the Cardinals com, could come out and and 
uh, still a win from the Bengals if they were still struggling. But no, Joe Burrow played well, and especially there, the standout for them was Jamar Chase at wide receiver. They were missing T. Higgins, but Jamar Chase popped off and went had 15 receptions, 192 yards, three touchdowns. Very similar receiving stat line to uh, DJ Moore for the Bears this week, which was kind of funny. They, yeah, very similar uh, stat line, actually. But then going on to... Let's go to the Chiefs-Vikings game really quick. This was a close game, pretty competitive, but went the way we expected. Chiefs won 27-20, and I say expected in the sense that the Vikings, for years now, at least the last two, three years, have been notorious for either losing or winning close games. Almost every game is a close game with the Vikings. They always play it really close, and last year they were they were a team that was winning a lot of their close games, And this year is kind of a year that it seems like the pendulum has kind of swung the other way for them. They're going to be in a lot of close games, but they're going to lose a lot more of them than in the past. So, And against the Chiefs, not that big of a surprise. Another kind of fun fact, I guess, is that with beating the Vikings this week, uh, Patrick Mahomes has now won a game against all 31 teams except for the Chiefs, of course, who he's been with for his whole NFL career, but, you know, it's it's something that you might be surprised to hear that he only just barely accomplished. But being in the AFC, obviously, a lot of the NFC teams, he's only get to fa- the Chiefs only face them about every four years. So, and the last time the Chiefs-Vikings played in Mahomes' career, Mahomes was injured, so he wasn't in that game. But so finally... He has a win against the Vikings, and they were the last team he needed to defeat. So he's he's now beaten all 31 teams. And I also was hearing last week before the game even ended that if he won the game, he would be the first NFL quarterback to beat 31 other teams before the age of 30, or by the age of 30 anyways. So, um, you know, great for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They're now 4-1, obviously one of the best teams in the league. The other, you know, before we go to Sunday night game, touch on the game that happened in the Mile High City in Colorado yesterday in Denver. We had the Broncos play against the Jets, and oh boy, the Jets won by a score of 31-21, to and this was a pretty interesting game. I, you know, normally I wouldn't have had much stake in this game. I would have watched it, of course, being that I try to watch basically every game in the NFL, but this was a game that normally I probably wouldn't have had much stakes in, especially being that Aaron Rodgers wasn't in it and Russell Wilson's still not looking that good. I probably wouldn't have had much care for it, really. But this game had a lot of storyline to it, being that with all the things that Sean Payton said about Nathaniel Hackett before this season started, uh, you know, basically publicly in a press conference stating that Nathaniel the coaching job that Nathaniel Hackett had done with the Broncos was the worst coaching job in NFL history, you know, and basically Sean Payton put Nathaniel Hackett on blast. And yes, it's kind of fair to say, I mean, we all know the coaching stat, the coaching job last year for the Broncos was bad. Obviously anybody could see that, but you know, for Sean Payton to then say that that's one of those things where, 
the the reason it was a big deal is because yes, it's Sean Payton and he's got his his history, so we respect him as an NFL coach, and that's kind of why he's at least somewhat allowed to say that. But even still, it's kind of one of those things where for the NFL especially and in other leagues too, but you quite often will see coaches and even players sometimes, but especially coaches, you'll see them generally try to refrain from, you know, saying anything derogatory or, you know, dissing on other coaches uh, just because it's kind of, you know, kind of a brotherhood type of thing, kind of a respect for each other's craft. Usually you won't see them talking down on another coaching job. You know, they might kind of beat around it, but, and you may know what they think about it, but generally coaches won't outright say stuff like Sean Payton was willing to do. And he did that like next day after he said those things in the off season, he did try to kind of walk back what he said and say like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, wasn't trying to attack him, but it was like, eh, okay, Sean, like you knew what you were doing. You know, your opinions on the team and we all know we mostly agree with you, but you know, kind of harsh for you to go after Nathaniel Hackett and the jets took offense to it. You know, Aaron Rodgers was going to his defense in the off season. And the other thing was that Sean Payton then was like saying things about how, Oh, the jets, I'm happy for the Jets winning the offseason, but we're trying to win the season here. We're trying to get to the playoffs. And then, so because of all those comments from Sean Payton, this game instantly looking forward on the schedule was seen as a, you know, (laughs) this was going to be a storyline. And for the Jets to go into Denver with Zach Wilson at quarterback instead of Aaron Rodgers and to still win the game in such a convincing fashion as they did, 31 to 21, and for the fact that the Broncos, or yeah, the Broncos looked out coached, for that to happen, uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. So, and the Jets had some had some good fun f- with it. I mean, there were some clips before the game of the players uh, on the field using it as fuel to get energized for the Jets. Also, after the win, uh, Robert Sala gave the game ball for the Jets to Nathaniel Hackett, and it was it was pretty cool to see all the players and stuff so far this season and last week. It was it was pretty cool to see Jets players and and staff rally around Nathaniel Hackett because again, even though his coaching job was pretty bad last year, from everything I've heard, he's a really nice guy, and that's part of why Aaron Rodgers likes him so much is be, is for his personality and. You know, I for Sean Payton and the the Broncos, uh, it's it's rough. They do not look good. They look out coached. Russell Wilson, his five year uh, contract extension they gave him kicks in next year, so he's kind. Of, that situation is really pretty rough for the Broncos. You know, with new ownership and stuff, it's kind of hard to see how they're going to be able to get out of this situation, but. You know, likely it's going to be Russell Wilson, if anybody, that's going to take most of this blame. But it's kind of hard to see how they're going to move on from this situation, you know, in the near future here. But, I mean, we'll have to see here. But at least as far as the relationship between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, it doesn't look good. They're they're both really different personalities from the get-go. And Sean Payton was certainly mad with Russell Wilson, rightfully, because... 
uh, the the fumble that he had at the end of the game yesterday that sealed the loss for for them. It was just inexcusable. It was a horrible fumble. And yeah, I just I don't know. It's it's so weird watching Russell Wilson this year and last year. He just does not look doesn't look like the same player at all as he did before. Um, now to move over to the Sunday night game to finish this off here. Uh, reacting to week five, the 49ers played at home against the Dallas Cowboys. This was the most anticipated game of the week. It was expected to be the most competitive game of the week. Uh, and I say expected because it was not, uh, it was probably one of the least competitive games. As a matter of fact, I mean, outside of, outside of the saints beating the Patriots by 34, um, and I haven't done the math on all these games, but looking at all of them, I'm pretty sure the second largest margin of victory this week was the 49ers beating the Cowboys. 49ers won by a score of 42 to 10, and it just the, the Cowboys did not look ready to play, looked out coached. I mean, to be fair, it didn't look that bad as I was expecting going into the game. I was kind of expecting like in the first by halftime with how the Cowboys were playing, I was expecting the Cowboys to end up with a ton more penalties than the 49ers and things like that. And and at least in that respect, they didn't, but there were still areas where, you know, especially like with scheme and things like that, they were just out schemed out coached. They were not ready for the 49ers and yeah, the, the 49ers definitely put a stake in the ground last night and said, Hey, yep. We're going to be one of the teams to beat in the NFC, especially for this Dallas Cowboys team. Uh, if you want to make it to the Super Bowl this year, you're likely, and let you know, outside of maybe the Eagles, we're going to be a team that you're once again going to have to get through if you want to get there. So, um, you know, that'll be certainly interesting if the Cowboys and the 49ers meet up yet again for the third year in a row in the playoffs, but, um, you know, which is certainly possible. But, yeah, anyways, I mean, if it looks anything like it did last night, you know, <laughs> sorry, Cowboys fans, but it's going to be just more of the same because at least last night the 49ers dominated the game and it wasn't even close. It was, as I said, it was by the score, second largest margin of victory this week for any team, and it just it was probably one of the least competitive-looking games I've seen all week. The Cowboys were just not ready. And for Brock Purdy, you know, I've, I've been kind of resisting buying into Brock Purdy and I still think he benefits a lot for being, you know, on the 49ers and having such a good roster and coach. But at the same time, there are obviously other quarterbacks that Shanahan didn't make work. Obviously they moved off of Garoppolo and they moved off of Trey Lance pretty quick, you know, for Brock Purdy. And so, you know, I'm starting to think maybe Brock Purdy is kind of one of those, I don't know, maybe he's like a Jared Goff type of a quarterback where he actually can be pretty good. And if he's on a good roster, he can lead you to the playoff or he can lead you to the Super Bowl, maybe even win one. You know, he might not be the most flashy quarterback or anything like that. He might not be a, you know, certainly not like a Patrick Mahomes or anything. And he's not a quarterback that you're necessarily going to have the faith that he's going to be able to put the team on his back but 
you know, put him on the right roster that's got a decent amount around him. He can he can play pretty well, and that's the thing too is I wouldn't even call him just a game manager or anything necessarily. Like he was making some really good throws. You know, they were having him. He's still not perfect, but he's still young. But right now he's he's undefeated in games that he's finished and and started in the NFL, and he's certainly showing that he's at least a good fit for the 49ers right now and last night he had he went 17 for 24 252 passing yards and four passing touchdowns and uh yeah it was a good performance by him good performance by George Kittle tight end for the 49ers who also had a great night three receptions 67 yards three touchdowns so three of those four passing touchdowns were to Kittle and yeah, the, the the chemistry between George Kittle and Brock Purdy is certainly fun to watch. Um, but yeah, on the other side of the ball, talking about the Cowboys, um, Dak Prescott, one of his his sound bites this off season was that he wasn't gonna. Th- the number he put for himself this season was he wasn't gonna throw more than ten interceptions. And as of right now, he's at I think. Well, just last night. He went 14 for 24, 153 yards, one touchdown pass, and three interceptions. So, and I think now on the season he's at, yeah, so he's at four. So <laughs> he's already now at four, three of those coming last night. Um, so, yeah, for Dak, you're going to have to play a lot more clean going forward. And you've got some some tough games on the schedule coming up, so... Um, yeah, for Dak, it's it's kind of interesting, but that was the standard he put on himself. And then also this week he had some interesting sound bites. You know, reporters were asking him about you know their their recent history with the 49ers and losing to them in the playoffs. And obviously Dak's not going to like those questions, but most of his responses were things like, "Oh, you're just trying to get me mad. I appreciate that. That you know, that's fuel to the fire and things like that." And it's like, "Well, uh <laughs> so much for that. Um Cowboys just didn't look ready. Um and as far as their schedule goes, I mentioned they've got a tough schedule coming up. I and mean, I'm not saying that it's like the toughest, but I mean, being that they're all, that's the thing. The Cowboys they have played well. I do still think they'll be one of the top teams in the NFC as far as record goes, and they'll certainly still be in the playoffs or should. But, I mean, so far, their only wins have come against the Giants, the Jets, and the Patriots. Their two losses are to the 49ers and to the Cardinals. So, you know, and you got you're in L.A. against the Chargers this upcoming week. Now, you know, you might benefit being that it's in SoFi. You'll likely have a lot of Cowboys fans there. So that might help a little bit, at least as far as, like, home versus away advantage. But you're against the Chargers. They're also at home against the Rams after a bye, which eh, that's not that concerning every game. But who knows? The Rams have played certainly better than most have expected this year, and they've got, you know, they've got a defense that could certainly, you know, cause Dak and the offense to make mistakes. And then, you know, they've also got after the Rams, they've got Philadelphia. They've got the giants, which 
Giants aren't good, but it's still a divisional matchup. You know, you've got you've got a home game against the Seahawks later, and then the next week you've got another home game once again against the the Eagles. And then to finish off the season, I mean, yeah, just looking at their last six games of the season, the Cowboys have the Seahawks at home, Philadelphia at home, they're away at Buffalo, away at Miami, at home against Detroit, and then they finish uh, on the road against Washington. So that's not that crazy, but another divisional game. But So at least those last five of those last six games, most of those teams – Seahawks, Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, and Lions. Those are all five teams that I I am predicting are going to be in the playoffs. So those are five playoff teams that you're going to have to face towards the end of the season. And that's going to be at a point in the season where, you know, games and wins are going to feel like they matter even more for every single team that's trying to get into the playoffs or get good seating. So... I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to watch Dallas and see how they do. Either way, I do still think they'll come out of it, you know, and and make it into the playoffs. But I don't think they'll, you know, it's it's safe to say they're not going to pass the Eagles and win the division. Uh, the Eagles should win the division again, which will be the first time a team has won the NFC East back to back in a couple decades, actually. But I think the Eagles should pretty easily do that at this point. Being that they're five and zero, and the Cowboys are three and two, and just not looking like they're in even really the same realm as the Eagles or 49ers right now. But so I mean, realistically for Dallas, I think you might get, you know, maybe if you play really well and you end up with like a record of like eleven and six, maybe you get that fifth seed, uh, the top wild card. But otherwise, like I could see, I could see the Seahawks being uh, at a similar record. And especially this, you know, here soon, when you go and play the Seahawks later this season, if you go and lose that game to the Seahawks and say you end up with, and that that's at that beginning of that late season stretch. So week 13 is when they play the Seahawks. That one's a game that I think could be interesting because I feel like them, I feel like Dallas and the Seahawks could end up with similar records. And so therefore, if you end up having the same record, Whichever team has the, you know, whichever team won that game is likely going to get uh, the better seeding. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Dallas Cowboys end up with the sixth seed in the NFC this year. So, you know, and that's <laughs> that wouldn't bode well for the Cowboys. And that would be a pretty funny storyline because guess who they would be? Well, okay. Actually, in the wild card, they would be playing against, you know, I'm just looking at my playoff predictions. And based off things I've talked about this hour, even if say the Cowboys get that sixth seed, like I just talked about, they would be going to Detroit to play the Lions at home for the wild card uh, race. And then after that, you know, quite possibly that next week, they could be playing against the 49ers, possibly, um, you know, if not later on. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll have to see how the Cowboys do. But on that, we are going to finish off touchdown talks on that topic. I hope you enjoyed week five of NFL action here. And thank you for listening here on Thunder 91. I am Spencer Taylor, and 
I hope you will have a great rest of your week. Going to turn you over to some commercial-free music here on Thunder 91, and we'll see you back here uh, after Monday Night Football next Monday.